Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're winding down our uh, study. Uh, it feels like we've been here a long time. Um, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, we've got about two sermons left. Um, as you turn there, I do want to say we'll be uh, honoring uh, moms uh, at the end of the service, but I do want to say um, I become more convinced every year as my mom continues to care for me, uh, even though I'm a grown man, she c- continues to support me and love me. Uh, and as I look at my wife providing the care uh, that she does on a daily basis for our four kids, uh, I'm more convinced every year that, that one of the very top graces of God in our lives are godly parents or godly moms uh, that care for us, that point us to Christ, that support us that uh, I, I just uh, am constantly uh, on a daily basis blown away uh, by motherhood and what you as moms do. And we'll, be, we'll be praying for you later in the service, but uh, right now we want to turn to Matthew chapter 7, starting with verse 15. It says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Last week we, we looked at the two options in life as Jesus is kind of winding down the sermon. He says there's two gates. Okay, There's the broad gate. There's the wide gate. And that leads to, and it's an easy path to follow, and it leads to where? Destruction. And there's another gate, and it's narrow, it's unassuming, it's hard to see, and it says that, that, that if we enter into the narrow gate, He commands us, in fact, to enter into the narrow gate, and what we'll find is though it's a difficult, more difficult path to walk, we will find life. And so now he turns to the fact that there are people who will stand in opposition to us and try to keep us on the broad path. They will stand outside of the narrow gate and say, hey, that's nothing. Just stay the way you're going. Don't follow God. Don't follow Christ into the truth of going into the narrow gate. But stay here. And in the reality, stay here and face your destruction with me the false prophet in the story of the three little pigs there are wolves that sought their destruction right stood outside and they they huffed and they puffed and they blew the house down i'm here to tell you that as the church of god stands although we are promised that the gates of hell will will not uh, come against it will not win against it the reality is, is that there are enemies of the church. There are wolves that would seek the church's destruction. And we know that with the three little pigs, those that 
had shoddy buildings and those who, who had not really put a lot of thought into defending themselves faced destruction. And we know that the one pig who took great care in what he built, and we'll be actually talking about this in a couple weeks as we wind down the sermon, the one who built the strong house, the pig had no fear because it was strong. And in the same way, we as the church do not we have to be aware of the false teachers. But if we would build a strong foundation, if we would be watchful for these destructive wolves, we will stand as a church until Christ returns. So the thing that, things I want us to notice, the first thing I want us to notice is that we are to be aware of why we are, why we are to be aware of false people prophets first of all they exist in the warning is the reality that false prophets will exist as long as truth exists there will be those who stand in opposition of that truth no sooner did, did God say do not eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you'll die not only, not, not long after you said that, did the serpent rise up and say, you will not surely die. God's not telling you the truth. And since that day, every moment that the truth stands, it is facing an onslaught of opposition. Uh, of opposition. We cannot ever be passive because the truth is always, always under attack. We see not only that they exist, but they, that they are deceptive. It says in verse 15, they come to us in sheep's clothing. Those in opposition to the truth will not always be easy to see, not, especially not at first. I feel like we are a church that, that somewhat is strong in the truth. I feel like if someone came into our church and said, the deity of Christ is a sham, I feel like we would show them the door pretty quickly. If they were to come to us and say that Christ, He's still in the grave, they would lose all credibility because we would believe they are speaking the truth. Or we would, uh, I'm sorry, they would be speaking falsehoods. Which is why that's not how the false teacher is going to come to Wyatt Baptist Church. The false teacher will come looking like everyone else. They will come saying a lot of the same things. 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13-15 tell us this. It says, uh, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So make no mistake, just like Satan, those who propose the falsehoods that Satan would have them propose will not be easy to see all the time. I mean, some false teachers are easy to spot, but many of them will come looking like people of light, people of the truth, but it will not be so. We see that they are not just deceptive, that we also see that they are destructive. 
these false teachers' true inward nature, okay? Outside, they're disguised as sheep. Their inward nature is a ravenous wolf, is what this verse says. A true false teacher cannot be tolerated because they come to destroy. And given enough time, they will destroy. Make no mistake. So often the greatest dangers for the church is, is not from the outside. It's not from uh, an oppressive government that would seek to hinder the truth. It's not even maybe from a rival religion that would, would, would come in. So often it is people within the church, sheep rising up, showing themselves to be wolves to destroy the church. So often the threat lies within. Look at the denominations that exist today that no longer stand for obedience to Christ or the gospel. Many denominations just a generation ago were bastions of the truth of the Gospel and now we see them as false prophets. And where did that come from? Did someone from the outside do that? No, it was people from within that began to hold loosely to the truth and began to proclaim falsehoods and they gained prominence and they led those entire denominations away and those false prophets took a, a true church and led it into a false church. We must always realize that in the life of a church, wolves who seek to devour the church will arise and the destiny of that church, the destiny of the church will be determined by what that church does with wolves that are found in the midst So we're, we're told in these verses of how to recognize a false prophet. First, we, we look at their fruit. They, we look at their fruit. We see the fruit of their teaching. First, look at their teaching. Now first, I want to say that in examining the, te the teaching, we must realize that none of us are going to agree on everything perfectly, right? If you surveyed our congregation, you would find different uh, views on things like election, what the Scripture talks about there. If you surveyed our church on the, uh, uh, the, the second coming of Christ, you may find differences in what the tribulation is going to look like and, and when the rapture is going to happen. You're going to find varying degrees on that. When it comes to issues that uh, are issues of conscience that aren't explicitly talked about in scriptures there will be some disagreement and that's not an issue of false prophets versus true prophets that's just as long as we keep it on the road right there's different lanes on the road as long as we keep it out of the ditch, ditches of some of the extremes of those teachings it, it's okay to have varying uh, views on things so don't don't quickly label somebody a false prophet just because they disagree on some issues that that you have a false prophet is one who, te who whose teachings corrupt the very heart of the gospel that is central to our faith or are, are there people that promote morality that runs contrary to the ex explicit teachings of scripture 
So here's how we can see, we can sometimes view and see whether or not teaching is false. One thing is that teach, if it's teaching that is always easy to hear, it's probably a false prophet. One of the consistent traits of the false teacher will be how easy and how pleasing what they have to say is. I mean, this is, this is no mistake that these instructions come right after the narrow gate. Because in the false prophet, there is no narrow gate. There's just the easy way. There's just the join me on this awesome wide path where we could do what we want to do. That is the false prophet. We, we see this consistently in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah, God had a problem with some of the people that were saying that they were His prophets. Jeremiah 6.14 says this, They dress the wound of My people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. And so what the false prophet does with his teaching is, you're sitting there and your arms are lopped off. And the false prophet says, oh, it's, but it's, it's just a scratch. It's just a flesh wound. Some of you get that reference. Many of you do not. But the point is, you have serious problems and the false teacher says, you're okay. God loves you just the way you are. He doesn't want you to make any changes. You just go about what you're doing. It's all fine. Jeremiah 23.16 He again talks about these false prophets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come upon you. So in the Old Testament, God is saying is that these false prophets, what they say is there's serious things that need to be addressed. And these prophets say, oh, it's okay. You're fine. But not just in the Old Testament, we see this in the New Testament. When Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.3 about the end times, he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul says, one of the things you'll see in the end times is people who will just tell everyone what they want to hear. Does that look like some preaching you might know of that fills coliseums of people? Some questions to ask yourself because it's so often, because sometimes I listen to some of these people that, that I feel like are false teachers or borderline false teachers, and, and what I find myself saying is they're not wrong. They're just leaving a lot of stuff out. So sometimes it's very hard to see, and, and some questions to ask is, does their teaching avoid sin? Does their teaching just talk about how God just wants to bless you and it doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter about who you are, 
or what you do, God's, God's got your back and He's happy with you. Does their teaching ignore the wrath of God against sin? And if all they preach is just a, a loving God that doesn't care about sin and just wants to love you with His grace, they're leaving out some vital parts of the character of God. Does their teaching often go to the cross? That's central right there, right? The, 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 the horrible death of the Son of God in our place. It's not always fun to hear about. I'd much rather just hear about how God wants to bless you. And how you're great. We don't want to hear about how God found our sin so horrible, so wretched, that He killed His Son because of those sins. It's not fun to hear. But yet it's something we must hear. It's the truth that we must hear. Does their teaching convict you? Does, their, does the teachers say in your heart, like, I need to change some things? Or is it just always reaffirming who you are? The truth should always put us in a pursuit of, conv- of, of conviction that, that pursues change. And does their teaching place you at the center? To place you at the center, that hey, if you do what, if you if you have faith in God, you'll get healed, you'll get all kinds of money, it's going to be great. Or is the center of their teaching? It's about the glory of God. It's about His kingdom, not your own. If you have teachers. Here at Wyatt, or or teachers that you listen to online maybe, if you always enjoy what they have to say, you need to ask yourself, are they a false prophet? But also teachings that that minimize the gospel. The, The assault on truth by false teachers is complex and it comes from many Forms, not only is the church threatened by those who would downplay the commands of God, it is also threatened by those who would elevate the commands of God above the gospel. What do I mean by that? The Judaizers in the early church would be a great example of this, right? That they would say, Yeah, Jesus is great, but you've got to keep the Jewish traditions or you're not really saved. Right? They would take the gospel and then they would elevate the commands of, of the Jewish tradition and they would put that right beside the death of Christ. Galatians was an entire book that was written because of, of this type of false teaching. It says in, in Galatians 3.1, O oh, foolish Galatians! Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Do you receive, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, 
are you now being perfected by the, fle- by the flesh? So the Galatians, he's saying, you got off to a great start. It was about Jesus and putting your faith in Jesus and His work on the cross. But, but false teachers have bewitched you and they've added to that. And you've got you've to tell those false teachers to buzz off and you've got to get back to the, the crucifixion that you saw with your own eyes. You saw it. In Philippians 3.2, Paul warns us, kind of along the lines of, of wolves, he says in verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And then he goes on to describe these people. And he doesn't describe people that we may describe as false teachers that, oh, they downplay morality. No, he describes people that, that, that raise morality up to the point where they forget about Jesus. Because this is when, after he introduces the dogs and beware of the dogs, he said, look, if anyone could be justified by the law, it's me, Paul. And he lists all of his credentials and what he's done. And his point is, it's not about the law. We cannot keep the law. We are dependent upon Christ. So you see, the attack on truth is, is a multi-fronted attack. And there are things that are attractive about each, right? Like, like one comes to us and says, hey, it's, you know, all that law stuff and about living a holy life and, and there's things that you're not supposed to do. Hey, God's a God of grace. So, and that's appealing, right? Oh yeah, I, man, all my life, it's all been about what I need to do. So it sounds appealing, that grace stuff, right? And then there's other times where it's like, man, it seems like no one's doing right anymore. It seems like there's all this immorality and, and the, the false prophet comes and says, hey, we're going to get back to holiness. And we're going to get back to morality. And we're going to preach about morality and just living the good life. But then they end up leaving the gospel in Christ. And the reality is, is that is that one false teacher elevates grace and one elevates holiness, but both aspects are good, but incomplete. And they're even deadly when they're incomplete. We need the law to humble us and send us running to Christ. We need the Gospel so that we find salvation when we see our lack of keeping the law. If we deny either of these, when we will become those who destroy the church, and then not those who advance the church. But don't just look at the fruit of the teacher's life, or a te- uh, the, the fruit of the, of the teacher's teaching. Look at the fruit of their life. Not only should the fruit of the teaching be examined, but the fruit of how they live their life should be examined as well. We have a peach tree uh, in our yard that just... Uh, just Man, just gave us all kinds of peaches. And right beside that peach tree uh, is an apple tree, and those those aren't ready yet. But man, we've been canning, and and so I've been thinking about this text, and 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 the fact that I go out there, sorry, I go out there, and and although these trees are right next to each other, I've yet to find an apple on the peach tree, and I've yet to find a peach 
on the apple tree. They're right next to each other. So I keep thinking, well, maybe, you know, they're just, they're, they're going to, something's going to happen, right? They're going to cross-pollinate. But it's always, it's so crazy. The peach tree yields peaches. The apple tree yields apples. We'll see what happens next year, but I think it's going to be the same. And the same is true of man. If you want to know the nature of a man, don't just look at what he says. Don't just look at where, where he goes to church, but look at the fruit of his life. If one claims to follow Christ, then it should bring about things in a person's life that look like Christ. How do we know what fruit we should be, that should be coming out of a, a Christian? Well, we can look at you know, the very first part of the sermon, the Beatitudes, right? That we're humble and we mourn over sin and that we hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we have mercy and we have a pure heart. We could go to Galatians 5.22 where it just straight up uh, announces the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And when all else fails, just turn to the Gospels and look at the life of Jesus and ask yourself, is that the fruit that's coming out of this person's life? Is it fruit that's coming out of my life? If you turn to the qualifications of, of church leaders in Timothy and Titus, what you'll find is maybe a sentence that talks about, yeah, they should be great teachers. They should be teachers of the truth. But then what does it do? It goes into, look at their home. Look at, look at their, their kids. Look at their relationship with their wife. And, and look at their relationship with others and, and the temper uh, that they might have when dealing with others. And, and so there's all these inner workings of a person's life. Don't just look at the teaching, but look at their life, the fruit of their life. Now, though those of us in leadership should have our lives scrutinized to make sure we're not a false prophet, we realize that we're still like men, right? With feet of clay, just as much in need of Jesus as you are. So don't just look at one event, don't look at a snapshot of our life. As I always say, if you're going to look at your life or anyone's life, don't just look at a snapshot, because you take any one snapshot of some of our lives and in any of our lives, you take a snapshot, we look very unchristian. But it's about the film strip. It's about when you look at the entirety of the life, is there a pursuit of God and of holiness? Not only do we look at the fruit of their teaching, just to examine it and see if it is truly the tr- if it is really the truth, not only do we look at their lives, but we also need to look at the fruit of their ministry. Look at the type of church that they seem to be seeking to build. Whose glory are they after? They seem to to want to build God's kingdom for their own glory, or are they seeking to build their kingdom for the glory of God? Do they desire that, that your confidence be in them or the Word of God? Uh, there was an uh, incredibly popular megachurch, um, one of the biggest, fastest-growing churches in the United States that just a few years ago crumbled. It just crumbled overnight. It, it no longer existed because of some uh, leadership issues in the church. 
and um, and I actually knew a couple in that church, and so months after this all happened, I, Chris and I got to have supper with them. I said, just tell me, like, what are the things that you noticed in that church before everything just crumbled? And they said, you know, one of the first things we noticed was this. Although Pastor so-and-so was always just a man of the Word that sent us to the Scriptures, we begin to see that more often he began to talk about what God had told him. And so he went from a pastor that, that just constantly pointed us to the authority of the Scriptures and, and, and don't listen to what I say or listen to what I say, but check it by the Scriptures. And he went from that to kind of acting like a guy who had a secret line to God that none of the rest of us have that were telling us as a church to do all these things. And I'm not ready to call this particular pastor a false teacher. I'm not ready to do that. But I'll say this, if, if, if you're the point of your, you get to the point of your ministry where you're downplaying the Scriptures and you're elevating what God's telling you, you're in a very dangerous place in your pastoral leadership. The greatest enemy of wolves are sheep with a knowledge and confidence in the Word of God. The Scripture commands the early church Christians in Berea. Acts 17.11 says this, For being those now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the Word with eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if, to see if these things were so. So they're commended. They're being commended here because they, you know, if these men were just about their own power, they would say, listen to us. But they're commending and saying, these are amazing Christians because every word that comes out of my, our mouths, they take and they take the Scriptures and they make sure it's so. Y'all, that is the greatest threat against a false teacher. It's simply a Christian who knows the Word who holds the Word in esteem, and who checks what they're being taught by the Scriptures. And I want to maybe shoehorn this right here since it's Mother's Day. But 2 Timothy 1, 5-7 says this, I've been reminded of your... Paul says this, I've been reminded of your sincere faith. He's writing to Timothy. Which first lived in your grandmother... Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Why was Timothy such a man of truth? It's because of women in his life who taught him the Scriptures. I don't know about you, but in my adolescent, when I could have made a lot of ch bad choices, and I didn't make some bad choices, but when I made the good choices, it always seemed to be about remembering my mom and how she had taught me the Scriptures and how she had taught me that there's a certain way to live. And so, moms, one of the greatest things that you can do is to uh, create men uh, our, our, our daughters or sons that grow up to be men 
and women that stand firm in the truth of the God, or the truth of the Word, and is able to stand against false teachers that would come into their churches and, and speak falsehoods and lead them astray. So in conclusion, the, the longer you stay at a church, um, I found, being here a while, is the more you care not just about what the church looks like when you're there, but you begin to care about what the church is going to look like a hundred years from now. And if God should de- delay His coming, uh, Wyatt, who's been here over a hundred years, will be here for a hundred more, maybe two, three hundred more. But over those decades, there will be wolves that come to dis- try to destroy her. And the question will be, was she strong enough? Was she obeying these Scriptures by, by being watchful and examining the fruit of false prophets that would come into that church, either in the membership or in the leadership? Would she be a church that stood on the Word of God? And the beautiful reality is, is that if we would be watchful, if we would always hold to the authority of the Scriptures, we will be a church that's a brick house. That the wolves may huff and they may puff, but the church stands. And it stands for the truth. It's a place where people can come to know God. I would also say as our musicians come, maybe you're here and you've been listening to false prophets. You're still on the broad way because you've been listening to the wrong people. Let me give you the truth. Let me give you the truth. The truth is this, is that there is a narrow gate. And to come through that narrow gate, it's going to cost you your life. It's going to cost you making Christ your Lord and no longer being your own. But it is beyond that narrow gate when you put your faith in, in, in the cross of Christ and what He did as He died as a substitute for your sins. When you go through that gate, And when you walk that difficult path, the destination it will take you is life. Is eternal life. So I would encourage you, if you've been listening to the wrong people, if you've been listening to the false prophets, I would encourage you to to make a beeline to the narrow gate. Quit listening to the false prophets. Let's stand... Uh, as our musicians uh, come out here, I'll, I'll be down front. I'd love to talk to anyone who needs to talk. And just pray for our church. Pray that we would be a church that always sees and perceives false prophets and resists them and always stand for the truth. And let's pray. Dear Only Father God, I pray that we would be a church, we would be a people that are not easily deceived that we would be watchful, that we would examine not just the pastors, but examine those around us, the teachers in the church, that we would always be mindful of, of comparing everything by the Scriptures. 
God, I pray if there's anyone here who's been listening to false prophets, that they would strive to enter into the narrow gate this morning. God, move in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.